0: I was a children's pastor for eight years. And let me tell you this. This is what I learned and the same is true with like teenagers. When the teenagers and the kids are looking at the ceiling and they're looking at the wall, and they're looking here and they're looking there, that's when they're learning. And I guarantee you those kids will remember this story maybe for the rest of their lives. I, I, like God designed childhood to be full of wonder and they'll remember the balloon and the reformation. Their spirits will. You know, you ask them in five minutes, they'll be like, what? We went to balloon church today, you know. It's very important for, for these kids that they learn in the house of God, the history of the house of God, and the truth of God's word. And any way we can do it, I say, is great. So, Judy, that was absolutely perfect. Amen. So I want to just take, I want to speak very, very briefly this morning. Uh, as we As we move on here, I want to say, of course, uh, thank you to Judy for that beautiful story. It was perfect. All you parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who took all the time to bring your kids to church. Thank you. It is so. It can be difficult to get a bunch of kids ready. Thank you for all the energy that you put into it. And thank you to everyone, the 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 chime choir and and the musicians and everyone who. The, went over the skid, and to make the food. A lot of people put in a lot of effort to make today special, so thank you to each and every one of you. You know who you are. But today is Reformation Sunday, and we celebrate our great God. We're here to worship the Lord. We're here to celebrate God by remembering, in part, the life and deeds of Martin Luther and how his simple acts of courage and defiance against abusive and corrupt powers were a catalyst for the church to be reformed from within and released to the outside world. Now, while we typically associate Reformation with Martin Luther and Calvin and William Tyndale, I would submit to all of you that we are all called to be reformers. Over the last two weeks, we discussed stewardship and what it looks like practically and spiritually. Righteous stewardship compels us to be reformers of our hearts our relationship our church and our community now when I was a young man I was very ambitious and I I wanted to be I was I worked in construction I wanted to be a real big part of the remodeling community what would happen is I worked for a company we'd go into older homes and remodel them and make them new we worked for this one client great people on Lake Taps it was so much fun because after work we'd go swimming. But we went into this home, it was made in the 60s, 50s, it was very not, it wasn't very functional. So we went in there, we spent a year remodeling it, open kitchen, uh, open living room, floor plan, gas fireplace, granite countertops, They just made it really beautiful. And it was part of the homeowner's job to pick the color that we painted the inside of the house. And so we showed up one day and they gave our foreman A number and if you buy paint a lot of times you buy it by number and you go to Sherman Williams you give them the number and they give you the paint so our foreman went in got the number from the homeowners we went and bought it came back to the house opened up the paint and it was bright purple it was bright like bright purple like pink and purple just came together and made this really vibrant color just bright purple and we thought to ourselves this is odd because who would want to paint their house, you know, purple? But, you know, we were like, well, these people are kind of, you know, eccentric, so who knows? We painted their the inside the whole house. Inside bright purple. Rolled up our stuff, got home the next day, or went went home, got a phone call later. The people came home, were very upset. Because their house was bright purple. I'm not kidding you. It was horrible. I have pictures of it somewhere. But it was bright purple. And, you know, we got, we were able, we figured out that somewhere between the homeowner writing down the number and then the person at Sherwin-Williams getting the number, there was a mix-up. It was supposed to be some sort of beige or, or something that made a lot more sense. And I only tell that story because I was thinking about that story as I was thinking about uh, my, my time as a remodel contractor, we would take something that was not functional and we would make it functional. Martin Luther looked at the church over 500 years ago and he said, this is not right. This is not functioning according to scripture. And he was courageous enough. And how many of you know, Martin Luther made a massive act of courage to stand up against the Roman Catholic church. And he said, this is not functioning according to scripture, and we celebrate that today. Now, I, I want to talk just for just a few minutes. I'm watching the clock. I know it's going a little bit long, uh, but I want to talk about the house of the Lord. I want to talk about a spiritual reformation just for a few minutes, and I'm going to read uh, one scripture out of Second Chronicles, but I want to give some framework around this. Now, Back in the Old Testament, before Solomon built uh, the temple, there had not been a permanent place for worship. In fact, the Ark of the Covenant had not had a permanent resting place. Now, King David uh, provided many resources for the building of the temple, but he wasn't able to Uh, God wouldn't allow him to build the temple because he had been involved in too many wars. And in fact, it was prophesied that his son Solomon would build the temple even before Solomon was born. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord was so strong that the priests could not enter to perform their duties. God became the central figure in the temple of the Lord, going from the tabernacle that moved all around now to a permanent place. The house of God had been reformed. First Chronicles 7, 11 through 12 says, Thus Solomon, and I I do have a a, uh, sermon companion that has these on them. Um, So if you grab those, if not, I'll read it out. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he was successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, this was a glorious day for the people of God. God's house, like I said, was no longer a temporary place. It was now a permanent place in the land. This temple could now rival any temple of any God anywhere in the world. The layout matched a lot like the tabernacle, but the grandeur of this structure was unrivaled. And it was so sacred that they wouldn't do any stoneworking anywhere near the, the construction site because they wanted it quiet. In reverence, they would have to do the stone working down down at the bottom of the, the mountain or in a different part of the land. Now, God had used the stewardship and wisdom of Solomon to build the temple that would be the center for a reformation of worship. Of God's people and of secular society of the day, Solomon had a desire for this to be the permanent residence and place of worship to God. This reformation of God's dwelling was a result of righteous stewardship. We're coming out of a time of looking at stewardship, and now we're seeing a we're uh, we're seeing how how the Lord is tying this together with the ideas of reformation. Solomon needed to recognize the need to have a reformation of the place of worship. He needed to be discerning, and he needed to listen to God's command and act in obedience in order to get the house of the Lord just right. There were carvings on the wall. There were models, uh, like after the tabernacle of the holy place, the most holy place. It was a very, very beautiful structure. And I want us to think about this thought. Righteous reformation requires righteous stewardship, righteous discernment, and righteous obedience. Now, let me take this thought a little bit further. Second Chronicles seven thirteen through 14 says this, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, the generic definition of reformation is simply this, the act or process of reforming an institution or a practice. In other words, what is being reformed had a shape, but now it is beginning a new shape and a new function. Those balloons that blew up were just kind of like stretchy little you know, pieces of latex, but now they have a purpose and they have a function, which is fun, which we will enjoy after the service. <laughs> the Roman church needed a massive reshaping back in the 1500s. The Pope was no longer the ultimate royal priest. And according to scripture, as people were realizing the people were. There was a reshaping of religious practice back to biblical truths. And what we read here in this passage, in this famous scripture, uh, is that the scripture is calling us to a reformation, a personal reformation, a corporate reformation, a cultural reformation. The scripture speaks at the very beginning of God's judgment. It says, no rain, no rain, disease, sickness, there could be death on the land. God is saying, look, this is what could happen if you do not accept the spiritual reformation that I am calling you to, and I will show you that in just a minute. Now, we see this in culture today, do we not? We see the effects of sin on our land. We see the effects of sin in the spiritual atmosphere, the culture and society around us, we hear rumors and, and, and of wars. We see of wars, rumors of things that cause us fear, fear. Uh, we see our enemies getting the best of us at times. We see our civil and governmental leaders completely rejecting any thought of truth or scripture. We see sickness in the mind. We see sickness in the heart of the people of our culture. In fact, it's getting so bad that, that people are working to accept in fact, pedophilia, and celebrate that as part of society. We see this, I was just talking with someone before, the celebration and affirmation of gender dysphoria. We are seeing the celebration of abortion and the exploitation of the murder of babies. This is what our society has grabbed onto and is celebrating. And God is saying, look, there is a reformation that I'm calling the church to Romans 1.28 says, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to their debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. The world has been given to a debased mind. But God. Martin Luther in April 1521 at the Diet of Worms uh, responded when he was determined to stand against God the authorities that wanted him to say, basically wanted him to renounce scripture. And as I was talking with other pastors this week, they said there is pressure on the pulpit to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that it would be very, very uh, uh, dangerous to do so, even if it's not popular. The world at that time had been given to a retrobate mind that only the Pope and the high church and the political leaders should have access to scripture. And now we see scripture easily accessible to anybody. It's a spiritual reformation at the core of this thing. And just like Martin Luther saw that need for spiritual reformation, so do we need a spiritual reformation. And right here in the scripture, it gives us the recipe for that spiritual reformation. Number one is we need humility. The Bible says right here that if my people will humble themselves, being humble is basically saying there is a God and I am not him. How many of you are glad you are not God? All the decisions he has to make, I am not God. Okay, there is a culture that says you can be your own God. You can worship anything you choose as God. But the Bible says there is one God, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one God. Pray and seek my face. Cry out to God. Make him our pursuit. If the church would turn our hearts to prayer, that will be a catalyst for a spiritual reformation in our land for a cultural reformation. See, he's pointing all these things at his people first. Turn from our wicked ways. If my people, us, the church, if we will position ourselves before God with humility, if we will pray and seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways first, if we will repent before our God, we will see a spiritual reformation in the church that spreads to the culture. God promises what? He promises if if we're humble, if we pray, if we repent, not just in word and deed, but in action, God promises to hear from heaven, to forgive our sins and heal our land. How many of you know the state of Washington desperately needs to be healed? desperately needs to be healed and he is saying in this passage to living word lutheran church to the church in general if you will pray humble yourselves repent i will hear and i will heal your land spiritual reformation begins in the house of god as i think and i'm almost done if i think i think back to imagine being that that person who for the first time gets the bible in their own language they get the Bible in German or Swedish or whatever that language was. And maybe for the first time, opening up Scripture for themselves. Imagine the healing that that brought to their lives as the first time they were able to read the truth of the Scripture and hear the, the facts that Luther's teachings, those rumors, were actually true in Scripture. Imagine the healing that brought. Finally, verse 15 through 16 says, Now my eyes will be open and attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all times. What are the lasting effects of a righteous reformation? His eyes will be open and his ears attentive. Not that they weren't before, but now that we as God's people have gotten our issues, isn't it funny? It's like God never has anything in the way. It's always us that has, or maybe at least me. I have stuff in the way uh, between me and God. It's my issues, my sin, my, my, my agenda, my mindset, my own ideology. When I can get that out of the way through parent repentance and humility, I just feel so close to God. I, I can see how he will be near. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins requires assessment, assessment of our spiritual journey and lives. But there is a cleansing that comes from spiritual reformation in our personal lives and in our corporate community. Some of the most powerful church gatherings I've ever been in is when there is a corporate repentance. When there is a corporate time, I love how we have confession here, and we corporately confess our sins, but just that beautiful repentance before God. When we ex- and repentance is a gift from God. It's a gift. When we experience this type of cleansing, our opportunities to expand the kingdom and fulfill the longings of our heart will be activated. And this right here is God's house. This church is God's house, and may it be God's house forever. May God always be pleased by what he sees in this house. May his presence be our priority. May we never fall into the trap of idolatry by putting any ministry, any opportunity, any tradition, any goal higher than him. And may his heart be translated by the words, thoughts, and deeds of all of us, into a world that is broken, hopeless, and lost. Reformation is to make the glory of the Lord known. And I put a couple questions down there at the bottom for us to just consider as we go about this week, and we'll get ready for uh, the offering here in a minute. So uh, if the ushers could come forward, Number one question, is my heart in a soft place to allow, the, allow God to do a spiritual reformation in my life? Two, is there anything in my life that I am putting before the Lord? And number three, how is my stewardship of God's house creating room for the reformation that he wants to bring? Consider those questions this week. And just so you know, I would never ask you a question that I don't first ask myself.